So I'm going to shut up, but I want to just give an introduction to Tanya Allen Gould. She's a dear friend. I've known Tanya for years and is hands down, no pun intended, one of the most creative, one of the most crazy, one of the most persistent distributor friends. And I say crazy in a good way because some people call me crazy. Um, and we're going to learn from her today. Tanya has had so many great successes with incredible uh, Fortune 100 clients under, uh, under her belt, but she's also failed. And she's hidden, uh, sorry, she's run up against some walls, I should say. And, I, and Tanya is going to be talking a little bit about that today. And because of that, she is uh, a much stronger person. And uh, she remains uh, a mentor of mine. And I am going to pass the mic over to Tanya for our first keynote of the day. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. I have to figure out how to work a clicker and hold a mic, do two things at once today. I think I got it. Uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, SKUCon for me is quickly becoming the TEDx of the promotional products industry, particularly with all of its engaging content spread across uh, multiple cities throughout the United States, so, and probably Canada too. Um, Mark came to me and asked me to talk to you today about creativity. And actually, I want to put it in, in Mark's words via email. Hey, Tagasaurus, that's what he calls me, Tagasaurus, would you like to come to SKUCon Chicago and talk to my group about how the promotional products industry sucked the creative life right out of you? and how you work to get it back. So today we're gonna to talk about my apparent uh, creative life being sucked right out of me and how I work to get my creative mojo back. Um, just to give you a little bit more background on me and my company, my company is 21 years old, TagSource. Uh, it was founded as a resource management company, outsourcing creative services projects, brokering for major Fortune 500 companies and um, Back in a day in 1994 when large corporations were kind of right-sizing their organizations and eliminating their creative services departments. And so I saw a real opportunity to found my business as a creative services agency. And while I was doing that, um, one day a client called me not long after I'd been in business and said, hey, Tanya, I need to get some logos put on some mugs. And I had absolutely no idea how to do that. And here I was, you know, managing uh, printing and digital imaging and photography and packaging and you name it, everything under the sun. And I had no idea about the promotional products industry. So I kind of walked backwards into the promotional products industry, and this is where I've hung my hat. So today I'm going to take you on this kind of uh, journey about how I lost my creative mojo, how I got it back, um, and I did so by doing some kind of wild and creative imaginary things, imaginative rather. Uh, hopefully by the end of this talk, my journey will inspire you to dust off some of those creative ideas, kind of burning a hole in the back of your minds, and maybe even inspire you to dust off some of those dreams of yours. Uh, so let's get down to it. I'm gonna take you backwards in time to 2012. 2012 was very similar to the year that I, uh, I started my business. I think 2012, we were just kind of sliding right out of that recession. Um, it was the year of Obamacare. It's all in the news. And uh, it was a presidential election year. So um, it, was, it was, I guess, uncertain and uneasy times. 
And um, my business, I had already by now seen through a lot of different changing economies. And I was okay with clients spreading the promotional wealth uh, a bit more, and I was okay with, uh, you know, clients um, working more with their preferred vendors, and, you know, because I'd already seen my business through those kinds of economies. What I wasn't anticipating was that my employees were going to go stark raving mad. Um, during that period of time, uh, a lot of employees that I had working for me were kind of getting creative on ways to, you know, cr uh, create a secondary income. I had some millennials working for me. They were freshly married. One guy was actually living in his mom and dad's basement, and his wife was giving him all sorts of crap and said, let's move out of here. And so he decided that a great way to make extra money is to come into the organization and splice his film together on company time. So it was a creative way of making money. I had somebody else who was kind of dipping their fingers into the, the company coffers, things that I hadn't ever seen in all the years that I had been in business. Um, to top it all off, we had some employees. I call this, by the way, this was the mass exodus of employees from my organization, something I had never seen before, and, and even some extenuating circumstances. This guy, good buddy of mine, nearly died in a car accident, a tragic car accident, and the person who should have been able to replace him um, uh, uh, was so devastated, as all of us were, by the accident that he packed up and moved back to uh, Indiana from where I recruited him from. One, one lady's daughter got picked up by the Joffrey School of Ballet, and I tell you all this not to exploit my employees or my company at this particular time, but I really did think that everybody was going mad. Um, I had never experienced anything like this, and I remember walking into my office, and because I, I felt like I was in constant damage control. Have you ever had that in your organizations where it's like nothing's going right? What's happening? Meanwhile, we're being nominated as the supplier of the year, vendor of the year by the Walt Disney Company. I'm flying to Las Vegas and accepting awards where I'm like, oh my goodness, life is crazy here. I remember walking into my office, throwing my hands up in the air and saying, not, I'm not a very, you know, super religious person, but I was like, this is divine intervention. Somebody's trying to tell me something. Um, and during this period of time, normally what I would do in a situation where my business is kind of struggling is I would do what every entrepreneur would do. And that is pull yourself up by your proverbial bootstraps and go out and recruit and rehire and retrain. But the funny thing is, I wasn't acting the same way I ever had before. And I couldn't quite put a finger on it. Rather than recruiting, rehiring, and retraining, I was shuffling people around um, in their seats on the bus at TAG. Um, and I, I couldn't figure out quite what was going on with me. And then one day, I knew what it was. And that was, I woke up in the morning, and I was like, oh my god, kill me now. I am going through complete and total burnout. By this time, I'm 19 years in the business. That's a very long time to hang your hat anywhere in any organization, even if you own it. And I'm not talking about the kind of burnout that you go through that um, a two-week trip to Italy might fix. I'm talking about slip my wrist, kill me now, don't want to go back to my own office. And I couldn't quite figure out why that was. How could it be that here I own my own business, and I am fed up with promotional products. And the reality was, I lived 
ate and breathed my own organization for 19 years straight. I remember going on vacation with my husband being on the Truckee River, and my husband is ready to flip my phone completely out of the boat and into the river because I'm dealing with payroll, and this was very early on, and it didn't change much for me along the way. Sure, I was working on work-life balance, but by the way, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's life, and work is a part of life. So I was going through this burnout. Um, to top it all off, I had this burning, dying dream of mine that I had had since I was a little girl, and that was, and this may sound silly to some, I wanted to grow up one day and be a children's book author. And, um, you know, when you're 43 years old and you realize you haven't gotten down to that dream, you realize it's about time to get down and cracking to it. So to top it all off, I have all this transition. My employees have gone stark raving mad. I am, ironically, doing something that I didn't really realize at the time. I shaved without really knowing it, without doing all that, you know, rehiring and repositioning in my company. I had shaved $20,000 $20, a month off of our overhead costs. I also was experiencing less headaches. I was enjoying my business more. And I realized that in the you know, 18 plus years that I had been in business, that the thing that I founded my company on, creativity, that's what I was losing. And I was enjoying my business more as I was servicing clients and customers and people were being moved around on the bus and I was offering raises during uncertain times and everybody in my organization was happy, including me. Um, uh, ben Franklin said, a life without creativity is no life at all. Think about that for a second. A life without creativity is no life at all. How many of you actually consider yourselves to be creative people? Anybody? Okay, so we're going to talk about later on ways to nurture creativity. So here I have this burning idea, um, this dying dream, um, and I'm reshuffling people in my business, and my whole goal is during this time to figure out a way that I can get my head screwed on straight again. Because I was, like I told you, absolutely miserable at my own organization. And I realized what I really needed was, I needed some time off. I needed to take a sabbatical. I needed to clear my head and get down to being creative again and actually work to getting that, that book published. So long story short, that's what I did. I, I set my business in motion. I empowered people. Um, most importantly, I got it to a point where it could operate with or without me. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, is figure out how to not make me the nucleus of the company anymore and how to make me a bit more strategically involved so that I could step away anytime I want. So isn't that the American dream anyway? You, you start your own business and you shouldn't have to be glued to it you know, for the rest of your life. Actually, my CPA had called me like three years in, Tanya, you're, you're running a successful business. Why don't you go out and start a new business? I was even losing a bit of my entrepreneurial spirit while I was losing my creative um, uh, spirit as well. So it took me about six months to get my business more on autopilot. And, um, and then I eventually went out on my sabbatical. Now, I didn't step away completely from the company. I called in in the mornings and I dealt with a few emails here and there. But I really did step away from the day in and day out daily operations of my company. And I am doing everything during this sabbatical, including um, 
feeding my children with my undying love and affection. Um, I remember it was the start of summer, and they were like, Mom, get away from us. You're, you're, you're glued to us. Um, but during that time, I found what I was doing, and, and I don't, probably um, not by chance, is that I was doing, I was cooking, I was redecorating, I was remodeling, I was painting, I was writing, I was drawing. If there was an ing on the end of it, I was doing it. And I realized what was happening during the sabbatical is that my right brain was 100% engaged all the time. And my left brain, I don't even know if I used my left brain much at all during that period of time. And I was healing. About three months into my sabbatical, I realize I'm outside watering the patio, the concrete. I live in California. We don't do that in drought years. I'm watering off the patio, and I realized I, I've, I'm stalling my own dream. My dream is to get published as a children's picture book author, and it's time for me to dust off that manuscript um, and start getting down to getting my book published. And during that time, I had the opportunity to work with, <clears throat> excuse me, all sorts of creative types. Creative types of people that I hadn't been working with ever, or maybe I hadn't been working with in a long time. I was working with illustrators and storyboard uh, uh, directors and, and graphic designers and, and uh, translators and filmmakers and voiceovers. I was using my creative brain to work on producing my own book, um, Samuel T. Moore of Cordemagore. Samuel T. Moore of Cordemagore, by the way, incidentally, was illustrated by two of the original storyboard directors for SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, and, and by the way, the person who put me in touch with one of those um, storyboard directors was actually Jennifer Dawson from Samar. Anybody know her? Okay, her brother is Mr. Lawrence, the voice of Plankton, and um, also one of the first illustrators for SpongeBob SquarePants. So I use my network too in the promotional products industry. So Samuel T. Moore of Corte Magor was published in 2013. It's about a land and sea fiddler crab who arrives on a sandy white beach called Corte Magor. And he wants to stay there and live there on this idyllic island, but he has to overcome some obstacles. And he has to do it in a certain amount of time before the tides sweep him back out to sea, and he has to do it creatively. Any of this sounding familiar? It's me, I'm Sam, I'm Sam. You know, I have to figure out how to accomplish my dream in a short amount of time. I have to do it in a certain amount of time. I mean, we're all kind of limited in the amount of time that we have to do things because one day I'm gonna have to go back to the office and I have to be at a better place um, uh, to be able to successfully run my business again. So 2013, this happened. I was published, Guys America uh, Publishing picked up the, the book. It was first released as an iTunes app. Um, with, a, with a professional musical score, narration, and animation. Whoops, back up. So I did it. I accomplished my dream, didn't I? I should be happy, right? Everything, is, I, this whole talk should end right there. I did it. I took my sabbatical. I accomplished my dream. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Ooh, I love this. I, I wish I were an auctioneer right now. I'd, I'd, I'd play with that a little bit. Um, so Samuel T. Moore of Corte Magor was published in 2013. And that's where my story should end, but that's exactly where my story begins because of my background in marketing in the promotional products industry. 
Not long after I published my book, I get a phone call from a colleague in the industry. And he said, Tanya, downloaded the book, love it. It's absolutely fantastic. The kids enjoy it. It's fantastic. But Tanya, I have a question for you. How are you going to elevate your book above the noise of all the other children's picture books out there? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked because I am on social media. I am tweeting about it. I'm talking about it on, on Facebook. And he said, but isn't that what every other author is doing? And I said, well, I'm doing speaking engagements, and I'm going to schools, and I'm doing book signings. Isn't that what everyone else is doing? And I knew what he was getting at, because I had staked a claim in this industry for so long. I knew that I had to do everything that was just left or just right of what all my competitors were doing. Never just center. And I think that that's probably, if I had to identify one of the biggest problems in the industry, is that people are doing what everybody else is doing. And you have to kind of recenter and refocus and try to figure out how you can differentiate yourself apart from the competition. So here we are. How are you going to elevate your book above the noise of the competition? And this is about the part where I basically go stark raving mad myself. That question kept me up at nights. I woke up one morning. This is, by the way, if you haven't noticed the theme, I wake up a lot in the mornings. And it's that period of lucidity where you're wafting in and out of lucidity, and you're not quite awake, and you're not, not quite asleep. Put a journal. Take that journal. Put it next to your bed and start writing down things that come to your mind, no matter how wacky they are. And I'll tell you why as we go on here. So I have this, this, this burning, nagging question, how do I elevate my book above the noise of all the other children's picture books out there? And then I woke up and I said, aha, I've got it. If you can name a star in the sky, anything you want, then why can't I find a postage stamp-sized island somewhere in the world and call it Corte Magor? So I start, I'm, I'm up, I'm on my laptop, and I'm researching islands for sale, and I find this place called privateislands.com, and I find one for sale for a half a million dollars. And my husband was home that morning, and I walked into him, and I'm like, honey, honey, I've got it, I've got it. We're going to buy an island in Vanuatu, and it's only 17 hours away, and the Vanuatuans did stop eating people in the 1970s, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. And my husband looks at me, I, he takes a, a deep breath. My husband doesn't like to be misquoted. Like, if you ever see me put something on Facebook in quotes and I said my husband said it, believe me, it's, it's been quoted. He said, and I quote, we are not buying you a fucking island <laughs> and calling it Cordemagor. Do you get that? And, okay, so I knew the idea was ridiculous. I knew the idea was ludicrous. I knew, but there was something preventing me from walking away from the idea. So, sorry about that. Uh, preventing me from walk, uh, walking away from the idea. And so I started researching these islands more. And I started talking about it. And the more I talked about it to people I knew, I had people who said, Tanya, this is an amazing idea. My best friend was in the same camp as my husband. You've lost your cracker. You're out of your mind. But people along the way said, this is a really interesting, interesting idea. And mostly people had a marketing background or an advertising background or crowdfunding background, a more creative field. So I kind of got the idea that maybe people were, you know, kind of glomming onto my idea. So I started researching islands for sale. 
found islands for sale in Nicaragua. Now, Nicaragua, to me at that time, was a very scary place, right? But then I realized, after I read, that Nicaragua was actually one of the safest places in Latin America. Um, and the people are all very genuinely nice. And um, I also read a statistic, and that was one-third of all the nation's children in Nicaragua drop out of school by the time they reach the sixth grade. My son was in the sixth grade. So now I read this statistic, and by the way, I grew up, grew up in poverty in northern rural Indiana. So this is really resonating with me, because that's really why I wanted to be a book author anyway. And this is resonating with me, and I said, now, aha, I've got it. How do I find a postage stamp, or an island of any kind, how do I find an island, call it Cordemagor, and have it work to serve 80,000 of the world's poorest people on the planet? And the Finding Cordemagor project was born. Um, there's something crazy that happens when your idea kind of meets its passion, and your passion meets its purpose. You get on this path, and it's like you're not even driving yourself anymore. You are on this journey, and it's like something else is pushing you. And, and the weirdest thing is, all the obstacles started to disperse. So now I'm on this mission to uh, find my island, call it Cordemagor, and have the island become a beacon of hope, uh, serving 80,000 of the world's poorest people on the planet. So the more I kept talking about it, I called a friend of mine, Lorna Pierno, a great friend and client. Uh, worked with her for many years in marketing. And uh, I said, Lorna, I said, you're Latin American, aren't you? And she goes, I'm Nicaraguan, yeah. And I said, well, I have this, this thing. I'm going to send you a slideshow. I introduced her to the Finding Cordemagor project. And I said, I need to meet some kids. I need to figure out who I want to serve. So I'm basically looking at this big picture, and I'm working backwards with my creative idea on Finding Cordemagor. And she said, my father owns a free trade coffee plantation in Nicaragua. And um, you want kids? There are 100 farm workers' children who don't work for the farm, by the way. Um, at Zaragoza, would you like to go meet them? And the next thing I know, I'm in Nicaragua. And I'm playing on a, on a farm. And um, I'm, I'm talking to kids. And I'm on an ATV and zooming around this free, free trade coffee plantation. And I don't even know how I really got there. It happened so quickly. Um, Oscar Wilde says, said, an idea that is not dangerous is unworthy of being called an idea at all. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But if you look over there, that's me. Do you see this, fo this photo is actually on center? Those waves are crashing all over the boat, just like waves are crashing all over in my, in my book. And by the way, I saved a real-life seagull on the island that we were going to take a look at. We could have died this day out on this particular boat. Um, the island owner wanted to sell his island so badly that he sent us out with his panga driver um, and uh, during a storm front. And so there are probably 15 of us on that boat, the filmmakers on the boat uh, that was sent with me and my literary manager. Um, but the idea was dangerous. Everything about what I was doing was dangerous. It was dangerous to kind of leave my family. And I, I like to say sometimes, my get off my one-acre island in, in sunny Southern California and actually get out and see the world. To finding Cordemagor, there was one thing that was the constant theme. When you have an idea and you want to get it across, um, a lot of times people will say, that's a dumb idea. They'll tell you no, it won't work, and then you'll be like, ah, 
your head kind of, you know, justifies, you know, maybe respect them and admire them. I admired my husband's opinion. He was a financially savvy guy. He actually is in the financial um, uh, world. And he's telling me, Tanya, this is crazy. And it did seem crazy to me, but I couldn't shake the idea. Along the way, I didn't let naysayers stifle my creativity. I wasn't afraid of talking about it. I wasn't afraid of doing the work or being perceived as crazy or falling short or failing. All I was concerned with was putting one foot in front of the other to get to my dream of finding an island and calling it Corte Magor. And this is where things get really crazy. So on that trip to Nicaragua, our first trip to Nicaragua, I was thinking it was going to take me about a year or two years to find my island and call it Corte Magor. I'm staying with somebody. I'm using my network. I'm talking to the person that I'm staying. His name is Randy Petit. He's an expatriate from Atlanta, Georgia. He owns a bed and breakfast in Nicaragua called um, Casa Rosa. Oh, good. That art came out okay. Um, and, uh, and he thinks that I'm some rich, wealthy woman that's going to come in and buy an island. And I tried to tell him, this is not what I'm setting out to do. We're trying to figure out how to turn an island into a beacon of hope serving, you know, 80,000 of the world's poorest people along this Atlantic Caribbean coast. He looks at me and he says, Tanya, you're looking at the wrong island. And I said, I am. And he said, yeah, you're looking at the wrong island. You need to be talking to Ambassador Francisco Campbell on his 29-acre island called Hog Key. The next thing I know, I'm on a 29-acre island called a Hog Key. The next thing I know after that, I am actually in the office of Sedeca, a human rights organization that is uh, run by Ambassador Campbell's son, Michael Campbell. The next thing I know, I'm back home talking to Ambassador Campbell in the Washington, D.C., Nicaraguan Embassy. The next thing I know, I'm on a flight to, uh, to Washington, D.C., and I'm sitting in a meeting in the Nicaraguan Embassy, and I'm hammering out an, a deal on utilizing 29-acre hog key, henceforth into perpetuity, called Corte Magor at Hog Key, Nicaragua. The idea, <laughs> thank you. The idea became a reality. And when ideas become reality, it's called innovation. And innovation, who said this? Was it Ben Franklin or Einstein? I think Einstein said, innovation is not a product of logical thought. It's not a product of logical thought. There's absolutely no logical reason why I should have had a, 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 an island handed to me on a silver platter, is there? Handed to me. Innovation is born out of a passion to deliver something different, unique, that awakens others' inspiration and interest, says Tina Judic at Found. What happened along the way as I was talking about my island, I started to get first followers. People started glomming onto my idea, and more importantly, those people fueled my idea. They fueled me. They, they, they put wind beneath my wings. I started to inspire people, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't setting out to inspire people. I was just setting out to prove myself that any dream is possible, and that's really what this is all about. That picture, incidentally, is a picture of an indigenous fisherman sitting on Corte Magor at Hog Key, Nicaragua with his, I think they're his two sons. I just love that shot. So long story short, because I don't want to get in the weeds too much of the Finding Corte Magor project, but there are certain ways that I feel, based upon my experiences, um, that you can nurture your own creativity. 
Number one, break out of your craft, even if it's for a minute. I'm not saying quit your jobs. I'm saying start to work with people who are outside this industry on different things. Bring other people uh, from the industry into certain projects. Figure out a way to develop your skills. Do what I did, take time off. If your head isn't screwed on straight, if you are bored stiff with promotional products, if one more promotional product arrives on your desk and you can't get excited about it, take some time off and come back to it. Um, do what I did, brainstorm with absolutely everybody. I mean, Charity, you and I have talked, you and I have brainstormed. From the, my first email, I'm telling her, I'm gonna get an island and call it Cordomagor. Mark Graham, I talked to him about it. Mark was actually, he was like, he goes, Tagasaurus, if anybody can do this, you can. Um, you know, people were fueling me. Um, most importantly, figure out how to develop a vivid, almost childlike, imagination. I have this theory that children um, are more creative than adults because they do not know what is not feasible. We tell them what's feasible and we destroy their creativity. Santa Claus isn't real. You know, Tooth Fairy's not real. Oh, sorry. I'm letting some of you down out here. They're not real. And meanwhile, these children have been drawing these amazing pictures of fairies on blue mountains with, you know, with, with, with chartreuse-colored skies. And it's beautiful. We need to figure out how to get back to them. Um, so develop a vivid, childlike imagination. Chase the danger. For me, chasing the danger was booking the flight and getting my butt to Nicaragua. For you in the promotional products industry, chasing the danger is not being afraid to pitch a product that you think your client may not like. You, it's, it's, it's about pitching product that um, maybe makes the client have to think. But then when they hit that aha moment, like, aha, I've got it, I get why you have pitched that product. You are trying to wow and dazzle. And if you are front and center of what everybody else is doing, I have news for you, your ideas are pedestrian and you're gonna be left in the dust when somebody comes in who has a much broader creative imagination. Chase the danger, find the grit. The grit, you know, um, I have three examples. I wish I had a slide to show you. Do all of you know who Gustav Klimt is? The Austrian artist who um, painted The Kiss, anybody? Okay, good, okay, so I don't have an image of it, but Gustav Klimt was a 1900s Austrian painter who decided um, while he was painting one day, hey, what if I mounted gold leaf in my painting around it? And it's this beautiful romantic image of a, a man and a wife in an embrace. And there's the, I don't know if they were married. I don't, I really don't know that. Um, and, uh, and then he mounted gold leaf. What it did was made him modern in a, in a non-modern time of art. He put the gold leaf in his painting. The best story I have, I don't know why I've used Ben Franklin and Einstein. I feel like that's kind of maybe a, a bit pedestrian, but I love the story of Benjamin Franklin sending his only son out into a thunderstorm and lightning storm with a kite and a flipping key. And he said, I'm gonna save your life, you're not gonna get electrocuted, but you are going to prove for me my theory of, of, of conductivity. And the thing is, is that is the, is the innovation in the theory of conductivity or was it in the idea 
that um, a kite and key could prove it. It was the idea, in my opinion. And by the way, I don't know if that was his only son either, but it makes a better story. Um, so find the grit, own your output, don't be afraid to put your name on it. T is a perfect example of somebody who everything that she outputs, she owns and she's not afraid to put her name on it because it's brilliant. Charity, Mark, um, Jeff, a lot of people in here that I see are not afraid to own their output. If you are outputting anything creative, creatively in your organization, and you're like, just turn it in, don't take ownership on it, then shame on you. Hopefully um, that won't happen anymore. And don't be afraid to put your ideas in motion. Don't be afraid to put that one foot in front of the other. I took this photograph while I was in Pearl Lagoon, Nicaragua. I've been there four times, by the way, going back very soon. Um, this, this indigenous man is selling this boat with a giant hole in a sail. Selling a boat with a giant hole in a sail, and he get some torrential downpours in Nicaragua. He's, and I'm thinking, as I'm seeing this, and by the way, the pelican was just so brilliant. As he passed by, I was snapping the shot. I was like, oh, yes, that's perfect. So I was using my creative brain there. But I thought if this man can sail a boat in the middle of a torrential downpour and keep it, you know, keep it steady, then we can do anything. I mean, that, that, that's what that connotes to me. So the Finding Corner Magor project, just real quickly, um, we're in an architectural design of the island uh, right now, so we're kind of uh, at a, a bit of a standstill because we're waiting for the architectural plans, and that's what I'll go to Nicaragua to see. But the island really will become a beacon of hope, serving some 80,000 of the world's poorest people. We're, um, it's, it's a social plus and environmental mission. Um, you know, you've got an island, you've got to protect the island. So we're doing things like cucumber repopulation, um, possibly an oyster culture project. We're creating a sustainable ecotourism operation where the people in Bluefields um, proper, uh, they would come and work on the island and they would get training and it would be revolving door training so that they could take those job skills back to the tourism that's certainly coming to that region. Um, the educational panga, we hope to have an educational panga depart the island and deliver education to uh, most indigenous regions um, in Nicaragua. And you can see all these things. And we're working with people like the University of California at Santa Barbara's Bren School of Environmental Science. I have a meeting with Pat Patagonia coming up. I've been talking to people at Conservation International. Lots of people um, have become partners in the Finding Cordomagor project. And so I'm going to leave my entire talk with this message, and that is. Um, how are you going to elevate your idea, your campaign, your client, your book, your product launch, your anything? How are you going to elevate it above the noise of all the other books, ideas, product launches, above the noise of all the competitors out there? five more minutes. Are there any folks that have, we probably have time for about one or two questions before we bring Bobby up. Um, why are you giving me the mic? I'm, I'm not oh, the pro I here. Need, I need water. <laughs> Rich Patterson, do you have a question? All right. Um, you know what? So we can get this on uh, video. I'll give you the mic and then we'll hand it back. 
Tanya, thanks for the great talk. Really enjoyed that. Congratulations. I'm just wondering if you could quickly summarize what it's like to be back in your business now while this was going on. I mean, it's not completed yet, but what it's like to be back. my creative brain firing on all pistons again. And so going back into the office didn't feel like a chore. It felt like, okay, I'm, I'm doing these really fun things. And it's ironic. I actually spend equal time on the book projects, the island projects, and tag. I, I am such a smarter worker now because I realize that there's so many other things I want to do. Still want to have a successful operation. I still want to have that, you know, feed my bottom line. You know, we got kids in private school and whatnot. Um, so um, it made me literally uh, do better at my job, taking that time off and, and doing what I'm doing, you know, every day at Finding Corner McGore keeps me sharp creatively. Anybody else? Mark, I know you have a question. I've, 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 I've got the mic here, so I'm, I'm going to pass it on to Kelsey here. Don't be shy. I just wanted to know more about Nicaragua. What's your favorite thing that you've learned being in Nicaragua culturally? Anything out of your comfort zone? What, what have you experienced? Oh, gosh, that's that's incredible. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to do this, but I've been very active politically on Facebook about these shootings um, recently. And I have to say, going back to Nicaragua and um, and being the only white person for you know maybe hundreds of miles sometimes um, makes me realize that we are so lucky because I do have white privilege even when I'm back in Nicaragua um, you know that means that I'm white and I'm automatically put on a pedestal and so for me the biggest lesson I've learned in Nicaragua is how to step outside of my own box do something for other people by the way um, along my journey, my whole uh, um, idea of finding Corte Magor became a whole lot less about marketing books and became all about, you know, working and helping the people of a, of a, of a company, or of a country. Um, I have to say that because it's not about marketing books anymore. That's what got me started. Um, I love telling the story because it's exactly how it happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've learned so much about people and myself. Um, I, I, I realize I'm a lot braver than I thought I was, um, you know, to do some of the things that I've done and show up in a country and, you know, be doing what I'm doing is, is, is tough business. I, uh, and I think we have time for one more question. Uh, Teresa, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Cause that's what, Yes, I, I would love that very much. Um, in fact, that's what's been happening is that every time I go back, more people want to kind of come. Charity has said she wants to come and visit. Um, and so as soon as I get the details on the next trip, um, just follow, follow uh, findingportamagore.com and um, me on Facebook or Twitter um, at portamagore, uh, I guess is the Twitter handle. Um, but yeah, I'd love anybody who wants to go. I mean, again, we're looking at a dormant island. It's vacant. We don't have anything on it yet. But across from the island, there's an educational farm where we're going to be uh, teaching people how to grow up uh, vertical gardening because they have no 
climate change is impossible. So growing up, so we'll do a vert vertical gardening farm over there and we'll be further along in that first project probably by the next trip, hopefully, maybe not. Um, but coming and, 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 and just you know uh, getting involved with what we're doing and touring the region um, and seeing how much fun it can be culturally. Um, it's really cultural travel. Um, that's what we're all about. So I would love to have join me on the Finding Cordomagor project. So I wanted to take this opportunity, first of all, give you a hug, oh. because um, I started off by saying that uh, you have failed spectacularly, and you didn't kill me. <laughs> and, uh, but we're going to be very vulnerable and honest here throughout no, the day. I failed along the way. I mean, I, was, I, I, I wanted to quit my own job. That's, that's failing um, in a very significant way. But I realized that that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to. I didn't want to give up my career. I don't know if I ever said that, but there's no way I could walk away from people like this and you know, 21 years of a, a, a career and, and staking my name in this industry and, and my claim in the industry. And yeah, I'm glad I stuck around and um, I'm not going anywhere. And I can tell you from my uh, relationship and friendship with, uh, or sorry, with Tanya over the years that um, we were having drinks at The Wit uh, which is around the corner from here. And that was one of the places that we got to know one another. And I remember you were talking about these crazy ideas and there was a part of me that said, I'm not so sure this person is all together in terms of some of these ideas about islands. And, and then as I got to know Tanya a little bit more, um, I knew that this was gonna become a reality and it's absolutely crazy. And I know that I challenged people at the very beginning to write down three ideas. So I suppose my first idea that I've written down that. I maybe will execute by the end of 20, 2016 is to go find some island and uh, you know start this incredible transformative charity. So great, thanks for raising the bar high. <laughs> but I'm gonna say, you know, when you're thinking of ideas, thinking about if this is my island, what would I do with it? So every idea is your island from here on out. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Tanya Allen Gold.